Amen. Thank you. Good morning. Maybe seated as you just did. Good morning. My name is Craig, and I am the other pastor here. And uh, we are grateful you're here. We put out 25 extra seats for you today, and uh, y'all have mostly filled those up. So maybe we'll put a few more in next Sunday. If you promise to come back, we'll promise to have room for you. Is that, we can make that commitment to one another, I think. So if y'all will come, we'll keep putting out chairs, and uh, if somebody will write a check, we'll buy more. Brian, we appreciate that. Thank you. Um, uh, thank you so much. Kevin, uh, choir, musicians, everybody, thank you. For today, I, I, am, I am grateful. We, we occasionally, I, they usually come to me, I occasionally get an email um, once a month or so with, with just questions about the music, and uh, I, I like to tell them, and I don't mean this ugly, I, I mean this is a compliment, but may, maybe what I should say is, is think of our music the way that you think of South Carolina weather. If you don't like last Sunday, just give us a chance. We're going to change it up a little bit this Sunday, and next Sunday will be a little different. Kevin wore his boots today to give us an idea of what we were getting into so, um, but uh, thank you for, for, for keeping us old and new with our music and an opportunity to stay connected to the ancient hymns of our past and to still connect with uh, the things that God's continuing to do in the world around us today. Uh, but, but especially just thank you so much for that, that last song. H- haven't we all been in a place where we needed to be reminded of what God had done in the past so that we could have hope for what he would do again for us in the future? Um, the only thing I don't like about that song is he says, I believe he'll do it again. He'll do it again whether we believe it or not. You know that? And that's the truth. It, it really doesn't believe. He, he's just that kind of God. He's, he's really not dependent upon us to be who he is. Um, but we're going to be in the book of Mark, chapter 9. If you have your Bible, turn with us. If not, uh, see that somebody laid this up here to remind me. There are pew Bibles in front of you, and you can use one of those. If you don't know where the book of Mark is, there is a table of contents in the front of this Bible, and nobody will stare at you for using it. Uh, that's why it's there, so that you can find that. And if you don't have a Bible at home, you take one of those. You're not stealing. We're giving it to you, and we want you to have it. Um, but one of the things we're going to talk a great deal about this morning is the, the importance and the value of community. The, the, the way that God works together or, or, or through the community of faith. And uh, we, we got a barbecue coming up. And, and the reality is that uh, one of the things that, that happens anytime we get together and we work together is some of these stories get shared over and over again. It's, it's amazing when God's people come together to, to do something. Some of those stories of victory seem to kind of come up. They, they sort of spill out, whether we're sitting around a, a you know, a campfire somewhere, or we're sitting around doing, uh, or on a mission trip, or even gathered together for a barbecue. Uh, these stories just tend to spill out. I would encourage you to be a part, if you can, of, of our barbecue. It's a fundraiser every year. The money goes to benefit missions, our students, and, and some other things in our church. Uh, if you can participate, we, we use, could use you. If you have questions, Buster will tell you. There's lots of times in here when we can make use of you. But one of the things I just want to remind you is that as you think about something like that, you're participating in something larger than yourself. You're particip- it's, it's an opportunity to get to know somebody in a different way. And what I find is that the more I spend time getting to know the people that I go to church with, the easier it is for me to remember what God's done. Because I hear the stories of victory in their lives. I hear the struggle and the pain in their lives. And I recognize I'm not all by myself. See, sometimes the devil can kind of whisper in our ear that we're the only people that are messed up and broken. That nobody really gets it. Folks, I encourage you to get plugged into a life group, to get plugged into the things that are going on here at the church, and to listen to these stories, because what you'll find out is that everybody around you is about as messed up as you are. In the midst of all that messed upness, God is still real, and God is still on his throne. 
And you might find encouragement as you discover that what God did in their life is bigger than what you even need him to do in your life. If you have your Bibles, we're in the book of Mark chapter 9, and we're going to hear a story this morning of a man who desperately needed Jesus to do something big in his life. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's word. Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 14. Hear now, for this is the word of God. And when they came, uh, set the scene. Remember last week we saw Jesus and, and three of his disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. So they've been up there on the mountain having the ultimate mountaintop experience. There Jesus is, Jesus is transfigured before their eyes. They see Moses, they see Elijah. Then these four, Jesus and his three disciples, they come back down the mountain. So imagine, folks, this is the way that mountaintop experiences tend to work. You have to come back to real life. And I want you to just see what Jesus sees as soon as he gets down the mountain. And when they came to the disciples, they said, Yay, Jesus, you're back. We've missed you so much. Tell us all you've learned. Not at all. They came down the mountain. They saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he said, What are you arguing with them? What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, and it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can. All things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd had come running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that the most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you give us hearts to seek you, to know you, Lord God, that you give us hearts to be in tune with you, that you would give us faith, Lord God, that you would help our unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen. What do you need to believe Jesus about today? What do you need to believe Jesus about today? You'll see that the very last minute actually changed the title of this sermon. It's listed in two ways in your bulletin. In one place it says the sin of unbelief. And then on your outline it says do you believe? I got to feeling kind of like I was being a little harsh when I was getting on you about the sin of unbelief. So I changed it to a question. You like that? Do you believe? Folks, what is it that you need to believe Jesus about Today, everybody walks into this place with your own baggage, with your own experiences, with your own stories. I don't know what in the world you came in here with today. Some of you ran in here from something today. 
I don't know, but just tell me, what is it that you need to believe Jesus about today? This story is a powerful story. And it's got to be incredibly depressing to be Jesus in these moments. Jesus comes down off the mountain, and there he walks up onto his disciples. And folks, the Bible, we, we, we just read the Bible often in black and white, and we should be reading it in vivid, ultra-high-definition color. I was at the store the other day, our television's going out, and uh, so we've been trying to decide what to do. I can't, I used to just, you could just go to the store and say, I want a TV, and now there's like 147 different options. I don't even understand it. We, we don't watch much television, so we've been dealing with this TV for a few months that will just randomly start flashing, and you have to turn it off and let it cool off and turn it back on. I mean, it's just stupid. Um, but uh, uh, I, I don't know. So you, you go to, to the, the television store, and folks... These TVs are like works of art anymore. It's, it's unbelievable. The, the, the pictures are so real that they actually capture more colors there than you would see if you beheld it with a naked eye. Unbelievable. Folks, let me tell you something. We need to be reading Jesus in super high definition 4K OLED TV kind of screen. He needs to be jumping off the page in real living color. Jesus comes down the mountain and we read this like this because you're doing your Bible reading plan. If you don't read your Bible every day, let me urge you to. If you don't have a plan to read your Bible, grab one on the way out the door. You say, I didn't start in January. That's fine. Start in March. Okay? You know the best time to start reading your Bible when you're about eight years old? You know the next best time to start reading it is today. Anyway, the Bible says when they came, and this is how we tend to read this stuff. When the disciples came, or when they came to the disciples, they They saw a great crowd around them, and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed. They ran up to him and greeted him. What are you arguing about with them? What? That's if we're lucky. Some of us read this like we're early readers, like we're kindergartners who are just trying to figure out how to read. You ever listen to like a kindergartner or first grader read? This is how they read. We have some reading teachers in our church, and this is how little kids tend to read. They don't acknowledge punctuation or anything else. They just read like this. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And then all the crowd, when they saw, were greatly... I don't even understand this. I'm done. And we should be reading this passage like this. Jesus comes down the mountain. Jesus glowing, perhaps. I don't know. The Bible says that Moses was glowing when he came off the mountain. The three disciples who are with him can't wait. And yet they're exploding because Jesus says, you can't even tell this whole story yet. Like imagine, you just encountered the God the Father speaking over God the Son in the presence of Moses and Elijah. And Jesus says, I need y'all to sit on this for a while. <laughs> what? But down the mountain they come, and Jesus is strolling. The disciples, look, y'all know Peter. We've been keeping up with Peter. Peter's walking like this. Peter sees this crowd, and Peter's like, all right, here we go. What y'all want? I got my jacket off. We're having an argument. Let's go. Jesus comes down. He says, what in the world is going on? I'm about to rip my microphone off. This is why I shouldn't take my jacket off when I preach. I break things. Kevin, what am I doing? All right, so 
Jesus comes down the mountain. This is awful. For those of you that listen to the recording on this, you really won't be able to grasp everything that just happened. I'm sorry. Jesus comes down the mountain, and there he comes. Jeez. There he comes, and he walks up on his disciples, and they're in the midst of this crowd. Folks, I want you to understand, they are getting their tails kicked right now. That's what's happening, okay? The disciples are in the midst of this. The Bible says there's an argument going on. Jesus says, what in the world is going on? Pay attention to who's here. Jesus' disciples. Again, we read this in black and white, not living color. We think about the disciples like the guy that wrote the book of James or the guy that wrote the books of 1st and 2nd, 3rd Peter. We think about John writing the book of Revelation, and they're all rolled up in here getting it on. But that's not what's going on. These guys don't get that until Jesus is dead and resurrected. The Holy Spirit comes and changes them. At this point, these are just regular old fishermen, tax collectors, regular old dudes. They've been hanging out with Jesus. They've been watching Jesus work. This guy rolls up. He says, my son has a demon. One of the disciples says, ain't no problem. Jesus ain't here, but I got this. I've seen him do it. They walk up. They say, demon, get out of here. The demon says, I don't have a clue who you are. Well, the disciples are dumb. They didn't try to push the crowd away. They let the crowd come on in because they're fixing to flex. And instead, this demon throws the boy down on the ground, and the disciples go, what in the world's going on? The Bible says that the scribes showed up. Do you know what that means? That means that the disciples were embarrassed by the fact that they weren't able to accomplish a a feat that they said they could do. And then, then the scribes walked in, and they said, who in the world do you think you are? And one of the disciples was just cocky enough to go, I got this. And they begin to argue with the scribes. I don't know if you've ever been in an argument where you were outmatched. Any of you ever lost an argument? Husbands, raise your hands. <laughs> you ever lost an argument? What Jesus walks up on is his disciples losing an argument badly. Okay? We tend to give the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees a bad name because we know the big picture. We know that they were opposed to Jesus But we don't always fully appreciate the fact that these were trained lawyers engaged in a debate with a fisherman. I ain't hating on fishermen. I love fishermen. But I'm going to tell you something. A first century fisherman does not have what it takes to stand up against a lawyer. And there's more than one. And when Jesus gets up on the scene, he says, what in the world is going on? The Bible says that this one man has had all he can take because he's watched these guys who supposed to know what they're doing get their rear ends handed to them by these lawyers who are supposed to be caring. But it seems like the only thing that happens is that they're having their own little fight. And here this guy still stands. He's standing here and his boy's right there and they're having their argument. And he's going, I thought I was the guy who came for help. Folks, how often do we see this in politics today? The person who needed the help got forgotten right over here while an argument took place over there. That's what's happening. That's what's happening. Jesus says, what are you arguing about? Someone from the crowd said, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. You see that? Teacher, I brought him to you. That's how we know the disciples are in over their head. Somebody, Somebody in that that male you, somebody in that crowd, that retinue of people. They said, I'm looking for Jesus. And somebody said, oh, you don't need Jesus. I got this. 
Hold on to that. We're going to come back to it in a minute. He says, yeah, they couldn't do anything. Jesus says, oh, faithless generation, how long am I going to bear? Jesus says, do I have to put up with y'all forever? Do you not hear anything? Bring him to me. It says they brought him to him. Jesus said, how long has this been happening from childhood? It's often cast him into the fire, but if you can do anything. Again, we read this in black and white, and some of y'all are reading it in like 1946 black and white, where it's all staticky and crinkly, if you can do anything. I want you to imagine Jesus is sitting right here, and he's looking at this boy. He's asked all sorts of questions. Now, Jesus is handling this like a doctor. Y'all got to understand, like, Jesus is stepped back, and he wants to make sure he understands the whole situation. He wants to make sure everybody else understands the situation. This kid's throwing it. The, the, the demon's throwing this kid on the ground. The dad's going, you know, he's done this all the time. And Jesus is going, okay, okay, okay. How long has this been going on? Since childhood, okay, okay. If you can do anything, okay. If Jesus is kind and merciful and compassionate, but he will not bear with us having a mistaken understanding of who he is. Folks, listen to me. Jesus doesn't send this man away and he doesn't refuse to heal this boy. But Jesus stops the conversation right there on the spot. If you can, son, all things are possible for him who believes. Jesus says you need to remember who you're talking to. And folks, in that moment, the entire scene changes. And that's where we pick up with our outline this morning. What does it look like to believe Jesus? What do you need to believe Jesus about? Some of you have been walking through life going, Jesus, if you can, and Jesus is going, if I can, if you just listen and believe, all things are possible. What do you need to believe Jesus about this morning? First thing I want you to see is sometimes you just come to Jesus with all the faith you can muster. With all the faith you can muster. How much faith does it take to see a child healed from demon possession? How much faith does it take to see a mountain moved? Probably not quite as much as you would think. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 17 verse 20 that if you would have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. The size of our faith is of little importance. Folks, it is the size of our God that matters the most. Why is it that we can move a mountain with just a grain of faith? Because a grain of faith in a God that is infinitely large is an infinite amount of faith. There is power in the name of Jesus. And folks, do you know that sometimes you don't get to approach Jesus with the faith of a spiritual giant? Sometimes you get to approach Jesus with the faith of a father who's seen his son beat down and abused and overcome. And you come to Jesus crawling and you don't even have the right words because your theology is all jacked up. And you say, if you can do anything, and Jesus says, if I can, all things are possible. And you find yourself on your face on the ground saying, God, I can't, but just a little bit I believe. God, will you help me? Folks, do you know there's hope for you today? That if all the faith you can muster is a grain of mustard seed, 
Jesus can work a miracle in your life today. What do you need to believe him about? See, I have little patience in those people who are unwilling to see the Bible and Jesus thoroughly and critically. I I have little patience for people who are unwilling to see God's Word be scrutinized and Jesus be carefully and critically studied. I have little faith for, or excuse me, little patience for people who thumb their noses or look down at scholarship and careful study or those who respond with fear and trepidation statements like, don't let that seminary ruin you. Don't let those books change you. See, I do not fear atheists. I don't fear liberal scholars of the Bible. Because why? I know that this word will stand the test of time. You see, I'm not afraid of what somebody might say about Jesus. I'm not afraid to study about Jesus. I'm not afraid of the history and the facts and the truth. Because I know that if death couldn't hold him and the grave couldn't defeat him, Jesus need not fear man or woman or organizations. What, after all, can man do to Jesus? Oh, we can trust him. We can trust Him. We can trust Him completely and totally. And folks, when life has beat you up so bad and all the faith you can muster is I believe, but help my unbelief, Jesus stands ready. I'm glad I took that jacket off. (laughs) Folks, have you been there? Have you? Haven't we all been there at some point in our life? Lord God, I believe. I I sort of believe Jesus. I want to believe Jesus. I'm trying to believe it. Oh, Jesus, help me. Haven't you? Oh, God, I want to believe, but God, it's so hard. Would you help me? This father says, oh, Lord Jesus, I want to, but don't you understand? I've tried everything else. Jesus says, you haven't yet tried the thing that matters most. I believe, but help my unbelief. One of the beautiful prophecies about Jesus in Isaiah chapter 42 is that he wouldn't break a bruised reed or snuff out a smoldering wick. He is tender and gentle. And even when our faith falters, we have a God who looks at that faintly burning flame and blows gently upon it and gathers the fuel around it and and kindles that flame. I believe, but help my unbelief. First thing this morning is have all the faith you can muster, even if it's just that much. Number two this morning, all the hope in the world. The dictionary defines hope as a confident expectation and a desire for something to happen. See, sometimes when our belief falters, the hope is hard to come by. The desire may be there, but the confident expectation is lacking. So what's going on with this man? It's not as though he doesn't want his son to be healed. He brought him to Jesus to be healed, and once he got there, the only thing he got was disappointment. Because those who claimed to be speaking for Jesus failed. One more person failed. How many of you just can't stand to be let down? One more time. My heart hurts because I'm confident that there's some of you in this place who have been beat up by the church and let down by those who claim to be followers of Jesus and you say, I just don't know if I could take one more time. The disciples claimed to speak for him, but they didn't bring healing. Somebody says, I've been hurt. This man comes to Jesus and says, if you can. Jesus says, if I can, all things are possible. 
The man says, I believe, but help my unbelief. And the Bible says that Jesus cast out the demon. All the hope in the world. See, sometimes our hope is sort of like a hope and a prayer. But then sometimes it's just not all about you and it's not all on you. Bear with me for a minute because see, in the American church and as American Christians, we, we, tend, we tend to equate Christianity with a very me-centered religion. It's just about Jesus and me. One of the things that we have messed up at times in the American church is even we talked about a worship gathering, a worship service, we'll talk about an audience of one. And yet the Bible doesn't tell us that we show up to church to worship an audience of one. You see, this is hard for us to wrap our brains. Some of you are already judging me. Hold on, because if you start looking at me with judgment, then I preach with anger, and nobody needs that. So let's just go with it, okay? Listen to me. Put down your anger and listen, okay? I'm right. Because I'm telling you what God's Word says. See, a me-centered religion says I come to worship an audience of one. A me-centered religion says it doesn't matter. I'm just here to please Jesus. Folks, that's not what the Bible says. It says that we gather to certainly worship the Lord, but we also gather to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That when we come and we gather for worship, it's not just about an audience of one. It's about singing music that communicates the truths of God's word across this room so that we are all changed and challenged. We don't come only to worship an audience of one. We come because we are dependent upon one another. The Bible is very clear. Worship is important, not just because we need to worship Jesus. Worship is important because we need one another. The Bible calls us a living organism, a body of Christ. And so when you come together, we come together to worship Jesus together. Yes, we worship an audience of one, but our worship is about more than just honoring Jesus by praising my hands. Our worship honors Jesus when we speak truths to one another, when we sing psalms to one another. There's this, this beautiful thing when we sing a psalm, we are actually singing it to Jesus and to one another. So that, guess what? You're actually teaching the truths of God's Word to the people beside you as you sing God's Word. You're teaching it to our children as they learn to sing the truths of God. One of the things I love about our, our sanctuary is we can kind of see each other. Especially if you sit in one of these. Y'all see me looking around a whole lot. Some of y'all probably think I'm counting. I don't have a clue how many people are here. I sit down here and I look around because I love to turn around and see y'all singing. See, I think it's great because to some degree, those folks sitting over there are singing to these people over here. And all y'all in the middle are just kind of caught in a crossfire. This daddy went to Jesus and sought healing. Lord, heal me. No! For his son. Do you understand what's happening here? If you don't, give me a minute. I'm going to explain it. See, God works not only in response to your prayers, but God works in response to the prayers of others. And you need those prayers. This young boy wasn't praying for himself. Maybe he couldn't pray for himself. But the Bible says that when his daddy went to Jesus and beat on the doors of heaven, the Bible says that Jesus healed that man. 
Sometimes we just don't have enough hope and faith and trust. Sometimes I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how to get to the door of heaven. Sometimes I'm overwhelmed. You see, we tend to emphasize a psalm like Psalm 55, 22 that says, Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. But what about those days when you're struggling to believe Jesus right now? When you're having trouble believing that the fog might lift? What about those days when your faith is weak? What about those days when your hope is faltering? What about those days when you have waited for healing? You've held out for delivery. You've done it all, it seems. You're tired. You're worn out. You don't even know the prayers to pray. And if you pray them, you don't even know if they're making it past the ceiling. You need your church. Because the Bible doesn't just say to cast your burden on to the Lord. The Bible also says to bear one another's burdens and so to fulfill the law of Christ. The Bible says not only that we carry our burdens to Jesus, but that we carry them to one another. And that as we come together corporately and we advocate on behalf of our brothers and our sisters, that we bang on the door of heaven. We have a, a passage like James chapter 5. And we quote out of James chapter 5, we quote verse 16 that the effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. But we only quote that one because in the evangelical church, we're uncomfortable with the rest of that passage. Let me read it to you. Again, God's word, not Craig's. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. That's good. You're responsible. Good job, American. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? This is where we get like socialist Christianity or something. I don't know. It doesn't look very much like American. It's not socialist. Don't, don't take that. But it makes us uncomfortable. Listen. Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they can pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Watch. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. And the astute theologians in the congregation right now are already working to explain all of the intricacies of that passage. And certainly there's a lot to be said about that passage, but don't miss it. Don't miss it. Verse 16, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you might be healed. It's mind-blowing. Prayer changes things. And when you don't have enough hope, when you don't have enough faith, when you don't have enough of everything else, the Bible says you lean on your brothers and sisters in Christ. Folks, what do you do when the world's falling apart? Can I tell you where you need to turn? Right here. Right here. Unfortunately, I see people that turn everywhere else. And when you turn everywhere else, you don't get godly counsel. Come to the people of God. Folks, do you turn to the people of God regularly for godly, wise counsel? Tell me this. Do you turn to the same group of people on a regular basis? Are you looking inward at your life group and saying, can y'all help me figure out how to do, deal with this particular situation? Do you know what I tend to do when I want the answer that I want? Like when I've already figured out the, the answer I want to have? I carefully select the people I'm going to reach out to, right? It's like, I got these five people. This guy's going to disagree. This guy, I'm going to call these two. This will be perfect. Folks, if you have a different text messaging thread that you send out for every like prayer request or six different people that you call and you hand select and carefully select which ones, there's a strong possibility that you're not actually seeking wise, godly counsel. There's a strong possibility that you're just seeking people to tell you what you want to hear. And you can turn outside the church and often hear that. Folks, when's the last time you turned inside the church? You said, pray for me. When you're broken, 
when you're beat up, when everything has gone south. The effective prayer of a righteous man avails much. Do you know that you need the prayers of your church family? You need, you need them. You think you're a spiritual giant? Pride goes before the fall. Be wary. Be wary. You need the prayers of your church family. Of course, it's not only your privilege to benefit from the prayers of others, it's your responsibility to pray for others, especially during those times when you're strong. Romans 15.1 says, Those who are strong have an obligation to bear with the weak. Now, we usually apply this verse to sort of spiritual strength to mature believers and immature believers, but can, can we just all be honest right here? There, there are days and weeks and months when we are the strong believer, and there are days and weeks and months when we are the weak believer. Can we just be real about that? that there are days when your door is the place where people need to come so they can be prayed for, and there are other days where your door is closed because you're beating on somebody else's door. Well, please, pray for me. I'm weak today. When's the last time you looked at a brother or sister in Christ and said, I'm struggling? Like, you were willing to put your pride down and say, I'm struggling. Why was this young man healed? The Bible says the father looked and said, I believe, but help my unbelief. Very small faith. Watch what happened. The Bible says that the man said, I believe, help my unbelief. Immediately, the father, the child cried out. I'm sorry. And right there, Jesus commands the unclean spirit come out of him. After crying out and convulsing him, it came out and the boy was like a corpse and everybody said he was dead. Do you see that this man's first test of faith comes immediately? Folks, be careful. We tend to believe that when we come to Jesus, everything gets better right away. This man says, I believe you, Jesus, and the next minute his son is dead. But the man held on. And Jesus held on. Folks, trials come to make us strong, but they won't last forever. Jesus is with us. When you're strong, bear with your brothers and sisters, but take note, all of this is possible only inside a real community where people are honest, open, and vulnerable with one another. Listen, I'm, I'm just going to step up onto my little bully pulpit right here. If we are to be a church where God does amazing things, if we're to be a church where the miraculous takes place, if we're to be a church where lives are put back together and people are healed and, and our community is changed, it's going to require, it's going to require that God's people be willing to be open and honest with one another and that God's people pray. But folks, nobody can pray for you or with you unless they know. This is why life groups are so important because you need Christian community. And folks, I love our worship services. I'm right here with 300 of my closest friends, which means I'm close with nobody in this room right now. Our life groups give us an opportunity to have those people who will pray for us and for whom we can pray. People that can bear our burdens with us. Because some days we'll be the strong Christian and we need to walk with our brothers and sisters, but other days we'll be bowed down with the weight of the world and we'll need our brothers and sisters to prop us up. What's it look like to trust Jesus, to believe Jesus, all the faith you can muster, all the hope in the world, and then finally this morning, all the power of Jesus.
How much power is available? All of it. All of it. The guy yesterday was showing me some work he'd done in his basement and um, closed in a few rooms. He had an unfinished basement. He closed in a couple of rooms and and one, he'd, he'd put some, some exercise equipment, and the other, he'd put some, some entertainment stuff. But there in his, his little exercise room, he said, I made one terrible mistake. He said, I did not appreciate how much power a treadmill pulls. And uh, he, he has two, I, I guess they're really healthy. He and his wife get on there together. It's none of y'all, none of y'all are that healthy. Um, I mean, you might be, I don't know, I just want to make sure everybody knew I said, well, I said, man, you got room in, in your box for another, for another breaker. Just, just wire another breaker. He said, well, I've already finished all the sheetrock, and I can't really get to it. See, all the power in the world is available. All the power he needs is right there, 20 feet from where he needs it to be. But he can't get to it. Folks, do you know that all the power in the world is available? The Bible says that the disciples said, why couldn't we cast it out? Jesus says, because you're not wise. No, he didn't say that, did he? He could have said all kind of mean things. But he was just honest. See, the disciples thought, that's where they got into trouble. They thought they had seen Jesus do it. They got this under control. The disciples said, what do we do wrong? And Jesus basically says, you did everything wrong. You see, they had seen Jesus work. They figured if they'd seen him, they could do just what he did. Listen to me. Heaven forbid we ever find ourselves in a place where we know how to do church, we know how to do Christianity, but we have neglected to pray. These men had been mentored by Jesus. These men had watched Jesus work. They knew how Jesus cast out demons. And I'm confident that they stepped up there with power and they said, you mute spirit, come out. And when one of them fell, the next one stepped up. They gathered around and said, maybe you used the wrong words. And they said, you mute, deaf, dumb spirit, come out. No, no, no. I remember when Jesus did this before. He spit on the ground a little bit and he rubbed it around. Then he, come out, and nothing happens. How many of you have been in the church so long? You've been around Christianity so long that you can be a Christian with your eyes closed, but you've not prayed. What does it look like to go through the motions of Christianity without the power of Christianity? You see, the disciples had access to all the power, but they were operating in their own strength. Some of you have lived defeated lives because you're living in your own power. Sometimes we look at the brokenness in our own world, in our world and we slip into depression. Because we assume that nothing can be done. We've tried to make a difference. We've tried to help. And the only thing we've succeeded in is to get our, 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 our faces kicked off in an argument with somebody who knows more than we do. In your power, you will always fail. But in the power of Jesus, there is hope. I find myself oft, I, I, I'm, I'm here lately, I have to battle against 
just negativity and depression, not clinical depression. Like, I just see the state of our world, and I am just overwhelmed with a, a sense of negative, depressed, like, oh, how could we be here? How can this happen? And it's in those times that I've got to keep running back to Jesus. Because, see, I can begin to believe that there is no hope. And, folks, in my power, there is not. But we have access to all the power in the world. In my power, I will always fail. But in the power of Jesus, there is hope. In your power, you always fail. But in the power of Jesus, there is hope. What do you need to believe about Jesus today? What do you need to believe about Jesus today? See, this father needed to believe that Jesus could heal. The disciples needed to believe that Jesus was necessary. What do you need to believe? Perhaps you need to believe that Jesus can actually save you. Perhaps you need to believe that Jesus can save your children. Perhaps you need to believe that Jesus can save your grandchildren. See, I wonder if we become a prayerless church because we stop believing that Jesus can. And I want to stand before you this morning and say that Jesus can if we will but believe. We have access to all the power in the world. But too often we sought to do it in our own strength. I wonder this morning if you'd stop arguing with your spouse and bring it to Jesus. I wonder this morning if you'd stop arguing with your wayward children and bring it to Jesus. I wonder this morning if you would look your depression in the face and bring it to Jesus. I wonder this morning... I wonder this morning if you would lay down your years of grief and pain with Jesus. I don't know what's going on in your life. But I know this. If you will believe, Jesus will intercede. This morning... Perhaps you need to come and lay it to put for Jesus. But I suspect there may be some of you here today for whom coming to Jesus just seems like a step too far. That you think about praying, but the distance between your knee and that floor seems so far that there's no way you can make it in your own strength. Some of you might need to reach over to your neighbor and say, would you pray with me? Some of you might need to get up and go to a friend and say, would you pray for me? Some of you may literally need to say, God, I know I should believe, but help my unbelief. Do you know that that was the very weak prayer of a man who saw God do the incredible? You say, Craig, I don't know what to say. I say it's okay. There was a thief on a cross who looked over to Jesus. If you would, Jesus, remember me.
come today? Would you believe Jesus? Would you believe that Jesus is better than a t-shirt? Would you believe that Jesus is more than a cross around your neck? He is the Savior of the world. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is a worker of miracles. He calls the dead to life. He makes the lame walk and the blind see. And there is nothing going on in your life that is so big or so hard that Jesus can't. Would you come today? Let me pray. Father God in heaven, I pray that you would work in our midst. God, we struggle to believe. Lord God, we see wayward children. And Lord God, sometimes we just don't know if we have one more prayer. God, we believe. Would you help our unbelief? God, we see a world that is torn and broken by sin. A shame, Lord God. We see division. We see racism and hurt and strife. And God, we wonder if we can do anything we believe, Lord God. But would you help our unbelief? God, our faith is often weak. Would you work in spite of our weak faith? And Lord God, if we don't have the faith to command the mountain to move, Lord God, would you give us the faith? To command our feet to walk. There is power in the name of Jesus. Whose name we pray. Amen. As we sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. Sing it out to the Lord. Would you lay your burdens down? There's room at the foot of the cross for you. Please stand.